So last week we, uh, we talked about the idea of being satisfied in Christ and in Christ alone and how that satisfaction that we attempt to find in this world and in doing things and doing stuff always comes up short. And with the holidays now in full swing and, and all of that, you can't flip on the radio without hearing Christmas music and, and all of that stuff. But this year, being Thanksgiving this past week, it was different this year. Last year, it was very different, for sure. Um, and this year is different in a different kind of way. But our perspective has shifted because of the world that we live in. And Thanksgiving, yeah, it's supposed to be a time of giving thanks and all of that. But in a lot of ways, I've, I think we've shifted to maybe a place of reflecting or, and or settling for what we do have. Meaning we have that idea of, well, it could be worse. That could be worse mentality. Um, and that doesn't take us to a, to a very good place, but sometimes what we do is we end up comparing ourselves. And when we play the comparison game, when you compare, you lose every single time. And we become fixated on maybe what we don't have versus what Jesus really did for us. And when it comes to finding meaning and purpose in life, if we're trying to find that um, in any other place but on the shoulders of Jesus, we're gonna come up short every single time because it's in Christ and in Christ alone that we do find satisfaction in a way that this world can't even compare to. And so how can we not just be satisfied in him? How can we not just put him first? And both of those things we definitely should do, but, but for really our life to revolve around him. Last week, as I, as I was mentioning, uh, as I was praying, we started talking about the rich young ruler and that story in Mark chapter 10 that we're gonna continue today. Um, and, and it says that this rich man goes away from Jesus sad, that he walks away sad because Jesus pointed out something that he didn't want to admit. This guy didn't want to admit really where he was because Jesus' point was actually not for this man to get rid of all of his money and to rid himself of all of his possessions. It really was for him to recognize his wrong priority. He had, his priorities were all mixed up. The man didn't really know who he was. He didn't know who he himself was. He thought that he was righteous because of the things that he'd done, but he didn't really know the kind of person that he was. And Jesus pointed that out. And we said last week that when you don't know who Jesus really is, you probably don't know who you are either. See, when we get confused about who Jesus really is and about what he really wants from our lives, then we also end up getting confused about who we are because we're not putting ourselves through the lens of Jesus in those moments. We're never gonna be satisfied in Christ alone if we don't truly know Jesus for who he really is, his love for us, his purpose for our life. And so in Mark chapter 10, if you wanna turn there, you can follow along with me. Um, we're gonna be beginning in verse 23, but in verse 23, we see this moment where Jesus actually um, then turns to his disciples. This is literally the moment after he's talking to the rich young ruler, and he walks away sad, as Jesus pointed this out. Because if you remember, this, uh, this rich young ruler, this, this, this guy runs up to Jesus and falls to his knees and says, what must I do to gain eternal life? What must I do? And Jesus points out a few of the Ten Commandments, not all of them, he points out a few of them. And the guy's like, yeah, I've done all those. And Jesus is like, okay, then uh, if you've done all those, then do everything. Sell all your stuff and give all your profits to the poor and then follow me. And that's when he walks away sad. And Jesus then turns to his disciples in this moment 
And we see their reaction to this, but we also see Jesus' response to them. So let's take a look at this here. Beginning in verse 23. So Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world could be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. So immediately after this encounter with the rich young man, Jesus says, how difficult is it for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples are really surprised by this statement. But the reason they're surprised by it, and you may be too if you've never read this before. But let me tell you the real reason why they're surprised by this. Because of Jewish morality at the time, the popular Jewish morality at the time, was basically this, that if you were prosperous, the prosperity was a sign of being a good person. That being rich meant that God had blessed you and that you are a righteous person. So if you're rich, that means that you're honored and blessed and righteous. And so Jesus' statement here, when he says this, really kind of flips that whole understanding upside down. And that is really the the big reason why they were like, why it says they were astounded by this. And they said, well, then who in the world could be saved? Because somebody that's wealthy is clearly a righteous person because that's what they believed at the time. What Jesus was not saying was that rich people will not go to heaven. That's not what he was saying. He was actually speaking into a cultural norm here and debunking it. So we have to look at things in context and where and when it's being said and how it's being said in history. So here's the thing, though. It is impossible for a rich person to be saved. It's also impossible for a poor person to be saved. It is a miracle for any person to be saved Because we are all sinners. All of us are sinners. And Jesus is that miracle. Jesus is that miracle. It's a miracle that any of us can have salvation. And Jesus draws this analogy as well with this to really show how big of a deal this is when he talks about the eye of the needle. Now, if, if you're like me, maybe you, you've heard this story, if, if you grew up in church or whatever, you've heard the analogy drawn that, well, in, in Christian circles at least, that the eye of the needle was actually this small gate that led into Jerusalem. And so he was talking about how a camel can't fit through this gate, and it's got to, it's got to like crouch down or whatever to get through that gate. Um, spoiler alert, there's actually no evidence of that. <laughs> Uh, no evidence of that at all. Um, that's, that's not true. Jesus was actually just being sarcastic here. So literal camel through a literal needle <laughs> is what he was talking about here. Um, it, it really meant what he said. He was drawing an analogy that was so absurd and so ridiculous to emphasize the impossibility of someone being saved without divine help. There was no middle class at the time either. That's the other thing you got to understand. There was no middle class. There was rich and there was poor. And so this applies to everyone because otherwise who, who could be saved? Who could be saved without help from God? So, you know, the, the point here really is that g- gaining heaven by doing is this tough. If you want to do everything and try to gain 
your heaven, gain your heavenly home in eternity with God, it's, it's this hard if you're going to try to gain it by doing things. Get a camel to go through a needle. And Mark 10, 27 answers this. He says, Jesus looked at them intently and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible because it is. <laughs> Getting a camel through an eye of a needle without throwing the cam- camel in a blender and dripping it through or whatever, and I don't think that counts, it is not possible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. Everything is possible with God. The grace of God is enough to save anyone. Anyone. And yeah, we talked about the sovereignty of God and the power of God. Absolutely, that he is all-powerful. However, what he's talking about here is actually just talking about salvation specifically. And in scripture, we see so many examples. People like Matthew, Zacchaeus, and Paul just to name a few, but many people that believe that they've disqualified themselves from the grace of God because of things in their past and things that they've done and the way Jesus come and just radically wrecks their life in such an awesome way and tells them and shows them that that is not true at all because there's nothing you can do, nothing you can do that will make Jesus say you weren't worth dying for. Nothing. You were worth dying for. I don't care where you are, where you've come from, what you've done, what you haven't done. Jesus is saying you were worth dying for, and he would do it again if he had to, but he didn't, doesn't have to because his sacrifice was a once and for all, one and done. So let's keep going here. Mark 28, or 1028, I'm sorry, through 30. It says, then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. And here you can almost hear Jesus go, Peter, right? Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. So in typical Peter fashion, he starts talking and says, see, um, we've done everything right to follow you, haven't we, Jesus? We've done it all. We've done everything right. Um, Look at us. Aren't we awesome? So it almost begs the question of like, so what's our reward going to be? Right, because we we did it all right. Remind for those of you that have kids, you know you've seen this one. You've got one kid getting in trouble, and the other one's like, "I didn't do anything. I I didn't do anything." Right? Like you just did. Of course, there's going to be special honor and and things like that for the disciples. Uh, they they helped found the church, right? And, and all of that, we know from Revelation 21 that there's going to be a special tribute to them in the New Jerusalem. We know that. Um, but here's the thing. The hundredfold that Jesus is talking about here, a hundred times, I want us to really put that in perspective for a minute here because it may not need to be taken literally the way in which we think it should be taken literally. Um, we know for a fact that the disciples themselves uh, did not die wealthy In fact, quite the opposite. They did not die wealthy. Uh, In fact, all but John were killed for their faith in gruesome ways. 
And so did Jesus lie when he said this? Did Jesus lie when he said this? It's interesting. Let me put it to you this way. Let me kind of draw an analogy myself here. Um, So let's say that this evening my house catches fire and burns down. I know that there are believers in this room as part of this church, church family, that would take me and my family in. I know that for a fact. Let's say I, I walk outside the church parking lot and, uh, and I got a flat, I have a flat tire and or my car won't start. Had that happen before. I know for a fact that there would be someone, some people who would take me home, would take me and my family home. Here's, here's the point. I have hundreds of houses and cars and family members. And so do you. Look around. This is what church family is. So when I say that God rewards us in different ways, this is what I'm talking about because church isn't a place to attend. It is a family where you belong. It's not a place to attend. It's a family where you belong. At least that's what it's supposed to be. It's more than a building. See, when God rewards, we should expect the unexpected because the reward may not be in the way in which you think it's gonna be. You should expect the unexpected because the more we give, the more we enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. The hospitality, the love, the support, the networking, the strength, the community that we have of our brothers and sisters in Christ, absolutely. Yes, there is also going to be persecution and there is going to be pain. Let's not forget about that part that Jesus called out as well that the disciples like to look over and so do we. (laughs) Because we know that within a family, there's going to occasionally, not everybody's going to get along. Occasionally there's going to be a a rub there and there's going to be some things happening. But But at the end of the day, we're family and we have each other's backs. And so... The extent to which we give, the extent to which we pour into each other, and, and, and the extent to which we give is the extent to which our needs will be met. And we're talking about needs, not wants. Needs, not wants. Makes me think of, of, of the idea of tithing in there. Because it's not the amount that we give that matters. It's the order that we give. The Bible's really clear on that. It's the order. It's the heart behind the action that says God is first. It's the heart behind that. And when we give our first to God, again, the Bible's very clear on this. When we give our first to God, the rest will be blessed. I promise you that you can do a whole lot more with the 90% than you can with the 100 if you give 10 to God first. I guarantee God even says, test me on this. But the most important part of what Jesus is talking about here actually comes in verse 31. In verse 31, he says, but many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. When God rewards, expect the unexpected. All who sacrifice for the Lord are going to be rewarded. Everyone is going to be rewarded, but God's way and timing of rewarding may not match up 
with your way of timing and rewarding. It doesn't always line up for us. Here, here's the deal. Let's just be straight for a minute. Following Jesus is hard. <laughs> I don't know any more simple and blunt way to say it. It's the truth. Because following Jesus is hard. Real discipleship requires a conscious, consistent effort. There's no day off. And Mark 10 shows us that following Jesus is not easy. If it shows us anything in that whole story of Mark chapter 10, it shows us this. The following Jesus is not easy. And it's not enough to just notice Jesus as, as he passes by and, and ask him for a pat on the back or a high five. Because attending is not following. And this may sting a little bit for some of us, but, but it seems like, at least for the church as a whole, that there's a lot of a lot of people that think attending church qualifies as following Jesus. And sure, it's a part of it. Absolutely, we should attend church and we should be a part of this community and this body of believers and be uplifted and edified and all of those things, for sure. But this is an hour out of your week. And so if this qualifies as following Jesus, it's not even close. It's not even close. Jesus didn't say, attend to me. He said, follow me. And there is so much wrapped up in those two words. So much wrapped up in those two words. It takes sacrifice. It takes potentially everything that we have. And it takes a conscious effort every day. And you won't be able to do it on your own because it is the hardest thing you will ever do is to consistently follow Jesus because we are sinners and we're gonna mess up and we're gonna screw up and we are gonna have bad days. And Jesus says, I love you anyway. See, in that, we will find peace. In that, we will find satisfaction because it's in him. It's not in us. And it's not in the stuff that we do. It's in him and him alone. And so that's why the connection point for the day is that we should be satisfied in Christ alone. This simple statement that's the overarching point of the whole thing because salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing that you have done that makes you deserve it. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You follow him and you will be saved. And so with a heart of thanks, as we should have, let's not just attend him. Let's follow him. Let's follow him. When we do that, we won't even be concerned with being satisfied in the stuff of this world at all. We'll be focused on Jesus and Jesus alone. And everything else will be put in perspective.